Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to The Daily Evolver. You can find all my stuff at dailyevolver.com. Just quick introduction here, the uh, episode is pretty self-explanatory. It's me and my old integral political pals, Diane Musho Hamilton and Terry Patton, processing this election and what might be in store for us. We start with Terry uh, reminiscing about the three of us four years ago when we gathered at my place for the Hillary Clinton's The First Woman President Party. We did a podcast the next day to process our feelings. So we're back, only we have a new set of feelings and um, happy to share them with you. Thanks for listening. I listened to half of our thing from four years ago. Just oh, really? You really? Good for you. How'd we do? Yeah. I think we did pretty well. It was, it was, I wanted to, I, I'm going to probably get back to it and listen to the last half of it. Right. This, just to, God, that was the beginning of a lot of grief, wasn't it? Well, I just remember feeling like I'd been hit by a truck. My biggest, my biggest memory is the sensation I felt. Really? In my, bo- in my body, yeah. When I woke yeah. up and heard that news. And in fact, when the polls were so off, uh, the other night, and Trump was ahead, you know, in a lot of the battleground states early on. I thought, oh my God, are we yeah. going to go through this again? Like, I literally just turned off the TV, yeah. decided I was only going to check my phone, and I was going to go regulate. Yeah. So I just basically lied down, had my phone there every couple hours, I'd give it yeah. a look, you know? And it was really something that when he won, I mean, again, the polling. Well, I think this has been, it's, it's been quite a blow to so many of us who were believing the polls and we were hoping for a blue tsunami. And Yeah, we were, we were hoping that. for a, a um, repudiation of yeah. this and we didn't get it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I did my live show yesterday, you know, and said what I had planned was to open with a you know, eloquent discourse on how the United States of America had spat out Donald Trump and not so much, you know. Uh, the polls were wrong. The, definitely the spin and hype from the mainstream media. Well, what it means is that there are an awful lot of people who don't find that authoritarianism revolting. They find it attractive. Yeah. Well, we have to be careful, though, because I think the frame matters in the sense that the the narrative that they are, that they're getting every day isn't talking about that at all. It's talking about all the things that he's tried to do and how much he has been thwarted by the news media and by the left. Like, I think we can't even talk about this election or Trump without talking about Fox News at the same time. And yeah. Facebook, yeah. Because if you listen to what they're saying, they're not, it's not even framed in the way we frame it. You know, he's a victim. I don't know, honestly. I've watched a good bit of Fox News. It, it, clearly, I think you're totally right. Uh, if you're talking about Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Sean and Laura Ingram, yeah, that is you know, that is who I'm talking about. Yeah, that, talking about yeah fair guys. enough. That, that's yeah. that's fine. But through the day, and actually Fox and Friends itself, mm-hmm. you know, they spit it um, Trump's way. But um, 
not egregiously, and I would argue to me not as egregiously as MSNBC does uh, the other side, where you hear virtually nobody arguing on behalf of Trump. Well, that's interesting because I, w I, I listened to Fox uh, the morning after the election yeah. just to, to hear how they were spinning it. And that's what I experienced. I experienced that they were focused on grievance. They were focused on the yeah. vote being fraudulent. They were focused on the lawsuits. Like everything was about how he wasn't yeah. being treated fairly. And that's what I hear so much, you know, is that we never gave him a chance. We never accepted the election. We've screwed, you know, the Russian investigation, the impeachment yeah. process were all attempts at, you know, so, and, the, and then they also, I hear them say things like, um, he's done a good job. He hasn't been given a chance. Um, it isn't his fault that COVID came here. It was the Chinese that for whatever reason, that's what kind of is in my mind about how they understand this. Yeah. Not that they're willing to vote for a despot. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. And I actually agree with you, but I, here's what I, I guess I'd say about that. I think there's a huge piece of the truth to that. And that until we have a integration of that, yeah. Uh, we're going to continue to have the culture war, and I expect we're going to continue to have the culture war. I don't think this is the end of it by any means, whether Trump stays in the White House or not. What do you think, Terry? You're reasonable yeah, Terry, about what do, Yeah, you be reasonable, will you please? <laughs> well, for me, this is, the last few days have been a moment of reckoning because I believed the polls, the fact that we are incapable of getting accurate yeah. polling information, yeah. no matter how hard really smart people try and credible institutions put all kinds of money and muscle into the effort, we were consistently misinformed about where people were at and what that means. Is and in a particular direction. There, there oh. were a whole lot of people who supported Trump who weren't gonna bother to spend any of their time offering their opinions. And there was a, a, a skew in which more, you know, certainly people on the left were too busy too, but very, very consistently in every different location, there were whatever it is, four or five percent distortion in the polls because fewer people were willing to participate in them who were Trump voters. And there really were bunches of more non-college educated white, mostly men who had not voted in 2016, who got recruited and were turned out and who enthusiastically participated. And that's the country we live in. And I'm still absorbing that. I'm like, I, and that's bad news to me. And I'm yeah. taking that in. <laughs> it is bad news. Can I say one tiny thing though? Yeah. Um, it is rare for an incumbent to lose, right? Yeah. You like you, you have to perform badly. Something has to go, have gone really wrong, like it did for George A. Bush and for Jimmy Carter, right? So if something did go wrong, and was it just COVID, guys? Would he be in office right now already if it weren't for COVID? I think so. Most likely. I think COVID, to, to whatever degree it played, and I, I think it played, uh, it played against Trump. Uh, so, you know, I think without COVID, Trump would have sailed to re-election. 
based on what we're seeing now. That's pretty, that's a pretty horrifyingly so. Even though he was reality. impeached, even though every one of his cronies yeah. has been busted and jailed. Yeah. You know, even though anybody who's halfway paying attention can see that he's a lying, cheating, corrupt, you know, he's corrupted our institutions. So we're, we're in an existential threat moment. The ecological predicament is yeah. only intensifying. California was on fire just a couple of months ago for a full month, smoke-wise. Yeah. So the narratives of our doom-oriented friends are, you know, you apply Occam's razor and you got to kind of hand it to them. Like, we're not, we're not going to turn things around anywhere close to the speed it's necessary. I find that sort of discouraging. And yet more and more the prospect of our collective mortality is drawing from me and so many other people a sense of the utter sacred miraculous beauty of the present moment and of every present moment. And so it's sort of drawing me into a humble you know, how, how can I both celebrate and worship and serve this amazing life we share for however long? Right on. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, I, um, I, I have just some thoughts I'd share on, you know, kind of what's on the table here. I think what we've seen in terms of the misreading of the polls is indicative of what I've come to see as mean orange. And it is this um, rational to the exclusion of non-rational worldview and thinking. Mm. Uh, modern and rational assume that uh, they don't get the animal spirits. I mean, this is actually proof <laughs> that they don't get this other dimension of reality that is ever-changing and morphing and unable to be gotten to by statistics and right. rational thinking. And because it's, it's not entirely material. Exactly. Can yeah. be measured. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's and, community in it, too. I mean, one of the things that others are pointing out to me about the, you know, unfortunately, we all have our relatives who've gotten sucked into some kind of conspiracy theory or other, and I've got my QAnon friend who you know, have a having a social ball. They're, they're, they have community. And the people who are coming together around Trump are getting more community than people are on the left. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you've seen these, uh, there's a couple that, that um, I'm trying to think of these cool young uh, journalists, YouTube journalists, that really have a basically an integral sensibility but they go into these trump rallies and and just listen to people and put it together in a really nice way the energy at a trump rally the louche terry mm -hmm. the, that liquid space between us mm -hmm. is rich and uh and and particularly to uh, people who are a, a traditional traditional people love that they're communal mm -hmm. you know we all leave home, us modernists, and go live in our suburbs where we don't know our neighbors, but not them. And, 
and there is something that's rich. And I noticed it when I was in South Dakota. And this is what I'm talking about. This it, until the we liberals mm-hmm. get that, and actually to our benefit because we will re-embrace it ourselves and find refine it. And it, but until we do the the new integration, you know. Or, 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 or as we do, because I think we're doing it. This is another, you know, hit upside the head. Uh, as we do it, we will, you know, move into integral. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I uh, but I also would say, I guess I would add to what you're saying that there is, rather than policy, it does seem to be identity fueled, and it does seem to come down to a very powerful us against them and this kind of marching anthem of the Trump rallies of, uh, uh, did you guys see that like make liberals cry again? Have you guys seen that? Yeah. I think that there's like, there's literally that guy that got elected to the Congress, the youngest person who's ever been elected to con- Congress. He yes. told AOC that he was there to personally see that people like her, you know, basically were destroyed. I don't know what he said exactly, but but just the sense that in a way it's quite, and, and there is a part of me that I, I mean, I, I know how easy it is to hate on people. That's like, I feel like that's an easy choice. Well, it's easy to hate on people that want to make you cry. <laughs> well, and my, you know, it's like, you know, so, I mean, my, my daughter was saying uh, the other day that she, she really feels and believes that, the left, and, and I'm not quite sure who she means, because it's also unfortunate for the left, because there are actually a lot of subcategories, and we're not, so we're not, we're not, we're, we're diversified, we are not like, it isn't a one note situation, it's a big tent, and people are very different, and we have different sensibilities around things, so it's really hard to clump us together, I mean, the fact that there are always these you know, the Bernie voters and the other voters, and we're trying to come together, but in fact, there, there are great differences between us. But anyway, she said that she felt um, that, you know, that the, the elites, the liberal elite or whatever has been, you know, putting down these more uneducated, non-college educated white voters. And I said to her, okay, I want to know who they are, because the fact of the matter is, I am not going to take a say, I'm not going to say these people are victims, because of course, that's the thing we think everyone is when we're yeah. liberals, everyone's victimized. They're not victims, they have a worldview. And I am not going to take responsibility for the fact that they are comfortable with a person who, from where I'm standing, looks like a sociopath. Like, I, I, I mean, I just can't take responsibility for that choice. You know, that's, I'm hearing it's my responsibility that they've come together to align against us and to follow Trump. And I'm like, I don't know who the people are that they feel put down by, but I, I don't see that in my world. You guys aren't doing that. I don't sit around at kitchen tables with you guys and talk about those awful non-college, you know, well, white I, voters. I do and have. <laughs> and, no, you don't. And, yes, I do. Yes, I have. And so does the culture die. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It does. Okay, let's I mean, have We a- have won the culture war in that the only people it's okay to make fun of are hicks, religious people, fanatics, small-time business people. And, and the, the, the insult that we give them is it, it's, we're blind to it. 
And okay, well, I, I, and I'll give you an example. Is, I actually have one that I just worked with at a show. I'll give you an. Okay, give some examples because I'm gonna I'm gonna actually argue this. Sam Harris makes this point. He said he's finally been able to understand the Trump phenomenon, and what it is is that Trump never subtly or by implicitly ever gives you the feeling that he feels that there's something wrong with you morally or in terms of your intelligence. And it is the sense that people are being critiqued for their intelligence and their moral standing. That is, that's what they're hating on. They're hating on us because we're attempting to be smarter and better people. And to whatever degree we're succeeding, we're seeing them not even trying and we're feeling morally superior and I, we're I, feeling I, smarter. And whether that's said overtly or whether it's implicit, there. I don't see that in my world. Where I see it is when it comes to politics and elections, because everybody gets into a very inflated power struggle and hates on the other side. If you set politics aside, I just simply don't see it in my life. I don't see people doing that in an ongoing way. Actually, the, the example I was going to use is the one yeah. you, you brought up, uh, Terry, and that's Sam Harris. And he did this. Uh, podcast on the eve of the election where, you know, it's kind of a special thing. It was not that long, just him talking about, I finally got it. I finally figured out why people like Trump. And it's been a mystery to me. And here's what he came up with. Hmm. Uh, Trump, and I'll, this is him, I'm quoting him. Trump offers what no priest can credibly offer, a total expiation of shame. His personal shamelessness is a kind of spiritual balm. Trump is fat Jesus. He's grabbed them by the pussy Jesus. He's, I'll eat cheeseburgers if I want to, Jesus. He's punched them in the face, Jesus. I think that is shockingly mean-spirited and condescending. I do. I was, and I'm a Sam Harris fan. Sure. So you feel you feel like in a way, um, I think what I'm hearing is there's like a funny paradox in it. He's got why they like Trump so much. And at the same time, he's doing the very thing that makes them like Trump. Well, yes. And, 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 and I think what he gets, and this is what liberals get about traditionalists, they get mean traditionalism. There's everything he said about Trump lovers is true. Uh, in that, you know, they're ethnocentric and they have traditional stereotypes and the sexist and all of that stuff. Uh, but it has none, no understanding or appreciation of good traditionalism. Well, I don't think, but I don't think Trump's a traditionalist. I think Pence is. I think Trump is a gangster. No, I, I think Trump is red. Trump is pre-traditional. Yes. I, exactly. I would agree with that, actually. But he's talking about why people love Trump. I think there's insight in his point. I do too. And he embodies the same scorn. How many people like you, Jeff, grew up in a small town in some red area and were super bright and found their way to a good school and wound up somewhere on the coasts or in Boulder or whatever and didn't look back and were glad to get away from what seemed to them their comparatively dull 
siblings or towns, you know, neighbors or other family members. And that phenomenon has left a lot of people feeling dissed and demoted. And Trump is telling them, I'm your champion. And he talks in these terms that any, anybody can understand, visceral, emotional language. So he's been able to mobilize it. But, you know, is there another great figure in, in politics? That, the people in my small town are not thinking about me and the fact I moved away. They're just not. Okay. They're just not. I mean, it's like we run into each other and we might be glad to see each other and talk for a few minutes and they see that I left and whatever. But, but I don't feel like I'm, I'm engaged in some sort of sense they're not okay and they're not really engaged in that I'm not either. Well, like, that's I because think... you're enlightened, Diane. <laughs> I mean, because, because all, actually, I mean that's, that's different. <laughs> somebody called me, honest to God, somebody, a, a, a Brit, called me a hillbilly the other day. <laughs> I said, I'm not a hillbilly. I'm not from Appalachia. Thank you very much. I'm a redneck. Leave me alone. It may be that I'm just really still close to my people. You know? so we're right. close. Right. Anyway, I, I just think, I, I, I think, I, yes. I, well, I, I would just say to Sam Harris that yes. I have traditional friends and family who have a whole different Jesus that they follow and they don't, Yes, they're not interested in globalism. They're not interested in multiculturalism. They want to be left alone. But mm -hmm. to be characterized as he did, we think Trump's insulting? Yeah, that was pretty insulting. Yeah. Uh, but you guys, aren't, aren't we in a little bit, I mean, I feel sometimes lucky to have the cultural evolutionary developmental framework that Ken, that I learned from Ken, totally. in the sense that I can look at Trump supporters and see that they are the preserving function and that the progressives are the innovative function yes. and that there's just a lot of tension. And because of social media and because of the internet and because we have no shared ways to commune because everybody's left the church, a lot of what's going on is that we, we've found that that the media supports the polarization and we don't have a lot of mitigating ways to mitigate that preserving, innovating tension. And so right. we're really going apart. I mean, if I were queen for a day, I would institute mandatory civil service for the last year of high school. Every 17, 18 year old in the country would spend 18 months in a civil service project in which they learned about unit, the importance of the unity and diversity and they understood how to belong and they also understood how to differentiate and that they understood differentiating is a healthy thing and it's okay that we're not the same and that we don't like the same music and that we didn't all go to college and it doesn't matter that you know there are intrinsic there's intrinsic and, and value in every every worldview you'd get to know a bunch of people very different from i mean i i just feel that that those things that created community because we're so diverse because the church has collapsed it's not surprising in a way that Amber is degraded to red under Trump. And, you know, that we're getting kind of orange to green is being subsumed by Bernie and AOC. I mean, that's the cutting edge. And I have to say, that's not where my sensibility is. I do find, I, I like, I listen to AOC and Bernie very carefully. And what I hear is constant negativity. And I hear the same kind of grievance that I was talking about at the beginning of the call. I can't get behind them because they never throw a positive bone anywhere. <laughs> well, well, Diane, it may be that these particular election results are going to grant your wish because the only way forward 
but the Democratic Party is going to be more moderate because this was a repudiation. Can you imagine if we'd gone into this election with Bernie at the top of the ticket? You know, this is this this was a, a validation for moderation. People are and pulling against rightly that. or wrongly, yeah. and that's how it's going to play. But it seems like a red green conflict to me more than even an amber orange conflict. I mean, yeah, well, I, I, I think that one of the, I, I did a podcast on this about um, psychopaths are people too. I, I wanted to listen to that. <laughs> Damn it. And, and I, was, I was set off by this That's article. That's such a great, great <laughs> title. Yeah. Well, it, 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 the point I make is that as we expand our circle of moral compassion, there's a new circle that wants to be included, uh, and that is people with empathy disorders. And I was triggered by, in a positive way, by the column in the New York Times on Sunday every week called Modern Love, where oh, yeah. a, a that reader thing. writes in about their love life. And, the, and the, it's a famous column, of course, and uh, coveted. And this woman wrote, uh, he married a sociopath, colon, me. And she talked about her life as a sociopath and, and that she was diagnosed. And she talked about a couple of things she did, like she embezzled the money they used for their honeymoon. Uh, she, her, her hobby was to hang out in strangers' homes while they were there without them knowing it. And, um, and that over time, she has learned to become uh, empathetic in ways that she's just not naturally wired and that there are people with this. And so I used her as an example and then Trump, because Trump is, he, he would be the psychopath. Sociopaths are people who are disordered and can't function in society, and they're often the criminal element. element. Psychopaths skate this side of the law, and they're often charming, and they're often successful, but they see other people as it's not thou's. So they don't have a, you know, so everything's in it. And, uh, and, but there are treatments for these people. It's, you could uh, diagnose it in children and work with them. And that, so with that in mind, I try to make peace with Trump as a psychopath. I see him as on a spectrum disorder. Literally. I've been calling him a sociopath. So it's interesting that we're both. Yeah, I have, I have too. I hadn't gotten the distinction until I read this article. Uh -huh. she, this, by the way, this woman is now a doctor of psychology working with people with empathy disorders. These are the particular disorders that characterize people who do mass shootings. Yeah. It, 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 you know, it, it's not schizophrenics. It's not even people on a manic tear with a bipolar no, no, disorder. No, no. Right. It, yeah. it's, it's sociopaths, psychopathic sociopaths yeah. that, that will do that. So the idea that we shouldn't judge it, <laughs> I don't know. It can function pretty destructively. Well, of course. I, I, I'm I, not I saying you don't judge about it. The, the, the autistic people well, who maybe can't feel. As Willie said to me, dear, out. he said, I love you, Mommy. I just don't like your behaviors. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's what Jeff is arguing for, that we love the well, sociopath exactly. because we draw limits. Yes, <laughs> yes. We do judge, but we don't condemn. That's, yeah. that's yeah. right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. It, it, aren't, aren't we really dealing with two, two fundamental ugly things? You know, I've, I've sort of identified that what I'm for is repentance and forgiveness, forgiveness and what I'm against is 
psychopathy and cynicism. And we're, we're at a time now in which the errors of green co-opted by red, you know, the fake news dynamic is, 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 is becoming overwhelming. It, it is like a kind of collective mind that is inflamed now going yeah, it, needs, it needs meditation. <laughs> yeah. When the election was approaching and I was in my happy bubble mind of uh, uh, blue tsunami and a dominant Senate, I was thinking about what would be the most important reforms that the Biden administration ought to be prioritizing. And it seemed to me that a reforming, a, a profound, that'd have to be a commission appointed and detailed research and a report and so forth, but then legislation on the basis of it that would take apart the Facebook Fox ecosystem that is the breeding ground for this collective madness. We as a society can no longer make intelligent collective decisions. In fact, we're making such stupid collective decisions. Our divisions, our, our, our grudge matches against one another are more important to us than our mutual survival, the well-being of our own kids and grandkids. We're, we're clearly in a self-destructive spiral. How do we emerge from it? It's probably got to do with a combination of that kind of reform of the algorithms that sort people into their preference bubbles and inflame their you know, extreme views. And of course, the money and politics issues. And it'd have to be reforms around public and, financing and, and election. And tra training in civics and training in being a citizen and training in getting along with people who aren't like you. We don't train people how to be a citizen anymore. There, there's absolutely no place where people come together and are, are trained literally in what it means to participate in this democracy. There's no training. You know, that's, so everybody's out on their own. And, and that's why this year of public service that you referred to earlier, yeah. I'd rather have it after high school. I mean, we're getting, we're getting trained in embodiment. We're getting trained in, you know, I mean, all of our, you know, science, engineering, physics, and we don't train people in how to participate in the democracy and what it means and the challenges. Like nobody from, as I said, it used to be that, you know, at least the draft demanded something of people. Nothing is demanded of anyone. Yeah. You know, I just think it's super problematic. And as I said, when, when, when we weren't as diverse and when religion was the thing that cohered people, you know, then this kind of civic, you know, uh, yeah. uh, education was kind of supplemental, but the church isn't what holds people together anymore. Yeah. I, you know, I just did a conversation with Tom Steiniger and it's on my YouTube channel where I, I posed the question to him. What what does Germany have to teach the Americans about reconciling ourselves to a no. destructive past? And it was very thoughtful. It was very thoughtful about what do you say? Well, basically, he said just simply being willing to be present to the pain and to the destructive this destruction and to uh, allow yourself to be humbled by it. It wasn't morbid. It no. wasn't unbearable. It was just simply. But I think it, that takes a lot of emotional. Maturity. Requires maturity. Yeah. 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 And it, yeah. A certain a certain complexity to because that's a lot to take on and people can't do it and they feel as you were saying earlier they feel scolded and reprimanded and that they're yeah. wrong and they're racist and that yeah. whole that that's tricky. I mean, how do you yeah. advocate for social social? So, so Jeff, tell us tell us the uh, the bedtime story about how 
evolution is working just the way it's supposed to, and it's going to take <laughs> us through this, and we're not really going to come unraveled. Well, I, I, of course we're going to become unraveled. I mean, that, becoming unraveled is the story of human history. And so we, we're, very, we're very tuned into the unraveling because we, we can feel that palpably. What's often missed is the raveling. So I think that there is a life to this struggle that uh, is, it's like you said a minute ago, Diane, there's the people who are into the preservation, there are people who are into the innovation. There's supposed to be a tension there. Mm-hmm. You know, they're actually supposed, they're probably supposed to hate each other, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the sense that that's reality at this stage. I think we'll get beyond that. Uh, But we're going to get beyond that. We liberals are going to get beyond that by bringing back, not bringing back, I hate the idea of bringing back anything, moving forward, uh, but reintegrating um, the people that we thought we could leave behind. I, Sorry that we have... That's the thing. Yeah. See, I, I really, I do remember feeling like these conversations are dumber and less interesting and I want to have these other conversations with the cool kids. And so in that gravitating toward what was more developed, what was more spiritually fragrant, what was just more intelligent in my view, I was implicitly rejecting those who were less interesting, less developed. And it was a very important part of my own freedom that I could choose a different psychic neighborhood that had more attractive qualities. And that, the, and I, you know, the whole integral cultural up expression is one of the many expressions of this kind of emergence of, of, capacity. We want to be with the other smart, cool kids who can have the conversations that actually go below the surface of things. And we don't want to only be embedded in the local and the quotidian. Yeah. Is, is that pathological? It, that, it certainly has stimulated a backlash that now has been weaponized by this particular sociopathic psychopath in a way that may be self-terminating to the whole American experiment. Oh, well. We don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but yes, I, I, I was with you to the last sentence, Terry. So, I, you know, all right. You know. <laughs> We're telling this story about the, about the scorn or the judgment because we're trying to explain something that doesn't make sense to us. And that's I know, but, it's, but I'm just theory. wondering. But so if re- that's not true to your experience, is there an alternate explanation for what it's attempting to make sense of? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I like my story better because it isn't about us doing anything to each other. It's about that they have a preserving function that for whatever reason, as we talk about, we don't know why people change. And we, we're always talking about when it comes to human development that different worlds are not better and not worse. They simply have constituent sets of, of qualities and you may find more freedom than you felt earlier, but they find more security, let's say, perhaps. So the fact that they're a preserving function, whereas we're pushing towards change and, and kind of feed on change in a way to, to our own detriment. We don't even know anybody that we you know, hung out with 12 years ago. We don't even know where they are. You know, So 
I think, I think for me, um, maybe it's just my relationship to the whole thing is less personal because I still have nice, I still have good personal relationships with my hometown. Mm-hmm. It never occurred to me that we were thinking ill of each other. Yeah. Well, again, Di, I mean, you're enlightened. Except I mean, for that's, that's true. Oh, wait, hold view. it. It's I forgot not... about my brother. Well. Yeah, I thought you weren't talking to your brother. Right? I'm not. <laughs> your older brother. <laughs> but it's his fault. But I know, I know so many people who aren't talking to their brother or their yeah. son or their well, nephew. I, I, I mean, I, these, these two themes can coexist. And I can find a way. I mean, you know, we all teach shadow. I can find a way to pick up what you're talking about. But it isn't naturally in my, in yeah. my mind Fantastic. around what it is that's happening. Like yeah. this whole sense that somehow pe- rural people have a sense that they're being screwed over. I don't have that experience of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm in Utah. You know, I'm surrounded by rural yeah, people. True, they're in their own world and their yeah. own world feels like the world in the same way ours feels like the world. They're literally not referencing us right now yeah. the way we are them. Except right now they are because they hate us. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I don't know. <laughs> I, but how, did it, how did it happen? When did it happen? I thought we were all friends. All know. of these years we could have been friends. <laughs> Betty Davis said to Joan Crawford. All, 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 all of these years in some sense we kind of have been friends. Well, and we have to be friends. I mean, it's absurd. Well, that's we're the gonna, thing. We're going to have a civil war. What are we going to do? Divide yeah. the country down the middle? I mean, what are we going to do? You know? Well, together we won two world wars and a cold war and accomplished all kinds of things. And now at each other's throats, we're just swirling down, you know, toward the drain. Mm -hmm. So clearly it's in our best interest to find a way to join forces. So, so this project, I think here's, here's Jeff's bedtime story of the project of getting, of really getting together is super hard. We, we just yeah. tend yeah, to gravitate. Yeah, no, we tend yeah. to be tribal. You yes. Know? Well, we tend to fight. And we tend and, to fight. And, and, and look at evolution down through every stage. It's mm-hmm. a struggle. Yeah, but it's, it's also, that's half of it. The other, the other half is that it's love. We fight and we love our way forward. I always love the story of General Grant and General Lee at Appomattox. What's and, that? Um, well, you know, Lee was a very dignified gentleman and had a lot of standing. And Grant, Grant was a little bit more down and dirty and super practical. But when you listen, listen to him in his biography, he was, he was principled and straightforward. He knew what his job was, but he didn't like it and he didn't dramatize it. And at the, in the victory, I mean, when they met to sign whatever they signed at Appomattox, the you know, yeah, Grant had absolutely no interest whatsoever. He admired Lee, you know. Yeah, exactly. They was, were nice to each other. He let this, all the Southern soldiers have their horses. Mm-hmm. He just let them take their horses home. Yeah. You know, go home on their horses, which, you know, a lot of generals would gloat and yeah. rape and pillage and deprive. But he was just like, everybody go home. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, to, to get to your point about service, um, I do think that in general, the culture, and, and you know, I think art leads the way and uh Politics is in, in economics is sort of the lagging moves of, of a culture that we're really moving into a green, uh, particularly economy, where, um, well, well, there's two things. One is the requirement of service, that thing where you have to actually put skin in the game mm-hmm. is really important as we move into a communal mean of green. 
and also some sort of a, a guaranteed income or some sort of a reasonable baseline of economic security where you know, the example I always use is people who work 40 hours a week for minimum wage can have a two-bedroom apartment. Just that, and just move into that more egalitarian, also more sensitivity in terms of race and these karmas of history and the way people are privileged. Uh, that's all, I think that's happening. That's the raveling. Mm. I mean, it looks like unraveling in a way, that's but it's actually story. the raveling. Yes, that's a bedtime story. Well, it's and the things that are coming together very, night. very quietly in the background while other things are falling yes. apart very loudly in the foreground. Yes, yeah. yes. That's Dogs right. bark, but the caravan moves on, you know, <laughs> and so, so it is with humanity. Yeah. Well, we're in a, we're in a little bit of a different moment. I mean, I've just... You know, I've had that weird morning where I looked up and the sky was red and the month in which there was smoke in the air most every day, at least to some degree, it was, it, it, it was, you know, it, it, there are these guys who talk about the methyl methane hydrates uh, being released because of global warming, creating the positive feedback loops, and we're going to have runaway global warming, and I don't know they're wrong. I don't know for sure that that's not, not you know, already happening. Mm -hmm. So there, there's a, a kind of horrified recognition. We are not going to come together in time to do the things that are necessary for the ecological predicament, global warming. And it's going to get a lot worse, you know, clearly. The, Mitch McConnell's not going to help them strike a grand bargain over the Green New Deal. We're, we're, we're not going to take sudden dramatic action at the scale that's seemingly necessary. So being in the, you know, what, what, what is this? You know, uh, there, there, there have always been disasters. Lots of people may die. There may be contractions. There may be some social dislocation. Something may persist. But we're, we're, we're also somehow kind of having to be with each other in a, in a weird interlude, aren't we? Isn't this, isn't this a... Uh, when, you know, during the years that we first got to know one another, our lives were held within the fundamental well-being and prosperity of the middle middle class, expanding economy culture, and it really, you know, it, I, we were thinking about long-term unsustainabilities as kind of theoretical problems. It wasn't impinging on our lives yet, and now it's begun to, and. It isn't as though this is mobilizing people to take action and based on any kind of coherent understanding or theory about how to meet the moment. So we can kind of push our chairs back and be philosophical. Maybe that's the best we can do. We can love all existence while we're here to love it. There is something to grieve here. And somehow I'm a more whole person if I don't look away from it, if I let myself be with the whatever it is, the species who will be extincted or the children who, 
you know, the, the various traumas that will ripple through the human and non-human world that are intensifying because of things we're looking at right now. Somehow I want our blessing, well-being, magnifying to, to include all that. I don't want to step over it. Right on. Yeah. Beautiful. I mean, a lot of what you describe is due to the success of human beings on the planet. So it it's completely interrelated. I mean, from the perspective of our personal story, you know, the grief is real and the uncertainty and the foreboding. But from a little higher perspective, the, our success and our demise are just simply one thing. Mm -hmm. you know, they're completely interrelated. You know, if we hadn't been so biologically successful, we wouldn't have depleted the planet. And we're living in the moment when that flower is both blossoming most spectacularly and showing the beginnings of wilting. I think that's, I, I love what you said, Terry, about you feel like a more whole person when you include this. That's a really important to me um, marker of what I, what I want to, how I want to see and feel the world is, does it make me a bigger person uh, to see this? And unquestionably, yes. And the, the tragic, it, part of it is, you know, it, it expands into just the tragic nature of life itself. I mean, and changing climates over millennia and whatever, and just species dyings and comings and go, just the whole cauldron of life that I want to, you know, of life and death. Yeah, life and death. Yes, that I want to get friendly to, and uh, and at the same time uh, let the suffering in. You know, and and uh, which leads us right back to the problem with Trump voters. <laughs> <laughs> Those darn Trump voters. <laughs> Isn't that how we started this conversation? <laughs> they don't want OSHA to improve the way we do things in the slaughterhouses. Those they're don't. not helping with climate. Well, I'll change. tell you what, what, what they are is they're not buying the story that uh, that We're bad. modern modernists and liberals are. Yes, and and part of I'm sympathetic because again, just with the polls, it's like maybe they know something we don't. Maybe statistics aren't as reliable. Maybe there's these projections that people make, you know, you tell your apocalypse story if you want. I got my own. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want you going pushing on. your apocalypse story on me. I got my own. So, so I think we have to reckon at some new level with our Trump supporting neighbors and cousins. And we have one, a, a dear friend of ours who we respect tremendously, who's acutely tuning in to the conservative truths and the left errors and, you know, even living in Texas for a while here to reemphasize it. And you've been in conversation with him. What are, what are you opening up to that's shifting your view? What can we constructively learn? How can we be related to these people that we seem to be in a death struggle with that that you're that some new light is being shined the 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 big motivator is the 
what he sees as a dark force in Mean Green. And uh, he really sees that as the threat beyond Trump and that Trump is there to, is the only person who will stand athwart that and will fight back against that. And so that's the animating energetic. And that actually is the animating uh, principle of a lot of intellectual conservatives. They're just, I mean, again, it's that, it's, it's what I argued Sam Harris did. He saw the mean part of traditionalism, but not the good part. They see the mean part of green, but not the good part. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, they're adequately, most of them are adequately green in the sense that they're, you know, civil rights and world-centric and so forth. But they're, they have such allergies to multiculturalism. Uh, especially it, uh, as it's forcibly enforced, you know, Mean Green deserves to be condemned. It's totalitarian. Every stage has a totalitarian I, I, aspect. I recently, you know, but I have a, it's, That's not the only story, and for I, them it is. I, I have a role in an organization that required me to take a diversity training thing in a can that I do online and requires a couple of hours. And it was so rigid and you know it was so full of these world centric shoulds and, and you know Ooh, ideology the, catechism so the so the the male manager bumps into the new hire woman in the java hut uh, next to the building and says gosh you look great in that in that in in that dress and Never say that. Like they're training you what to not do and not to why, do. Well, but why did Cal Cunningham have to send that dumb text? Who's I this? Mean, we, we needed him in Cal the Cal Cunningham, yeah. I mean, I was, know. I was bummed. It's like, yeah. I wish the guy had had that training. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, come on, dude. Really? Like you're running for office and you're going to take that risk? I mean, come on. Yeah, I was going to say, welcome to humanity waking itself up. Yeah, uh, you know, exactly. it's ham-handed. But, but the, it's, the experience I had oh, the diversity watching training. Yeah. All the details of all the things I should yeah. and shouldn't say. Yeah, for sure. Or, or like, don't ask them their, your, their age, whatever you do. And, and, and the degree to which then I'm policing myself and I'm defending against the possible complaint that somebody might file and the way that that begins to create a legalistic kind of a oh, yeah, interference true. pattern in my relationship with other people, I felt the same thing that the Trump voters are feeling. Like, yes. I agree with all the values they were trying to help make me sensitive to. And yet the enforcement of it and the codes and the details and how many more things you have to be aware of if you're in California because the laws are stricter and the whole deal. The fact that people I'm always getting called out. I get called out. I haven't been canceled, but I get called out. I get called out the other day on a call I was doing. Really? How so? Yeah. What were you called out for? uh, Well, it's tricky. I'd really rather not talk about it. (laughs) If we weren't recording, I would totally talk about it. But but basically, my response has been to go, okay, all right, sorry. Okay, where were we? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. That's how I do it. Yeah, that's probably not quite good enough. Oh, okay, sorry. All right, next. (laughs) Because I think a lot of of people are getting tired of, of that. 
too. Yeah, but I see that as it's, you know, again, welcome to humanity evolving. I mean, I there's, there's that, there's the checking of that, there's the checking of the checking, there's everybody's <laughs> online, we can't stay out of each other's hair. Um, I, lo I love Terry's image of diversity in a can. Did you, <laughs> did you say you, it was a diversity training in a can? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, it was just, you know, it's a module and yeah. you've got to spend at least two hours. I used to do that. I mean, I used to do that in my 30s. So I was I. up there scolding people. So I was like ahead of the curve. I'm like, yeah, me too. You people shake up. I know. And plus, I got processed at Naropa, as I assume <laughs> you did too, uh, you know, with my white privilege and like even some of the encounter sessions of sitting in a hot tub and, you know, let's all say what's wrong with Jeff, you know, and that kind of shit, you know, I mean, all of it's ham handed, but uh, so was learning by catechism where Jesus and the God and the, the, the you know, number of angels on the head of a pin yeah. and all that shit. Yeah. It's just and, but there's this esoteric, yeah. esoteric transmission to all of it that is uh, it's happening. And, yeah. and so these people go to these diversity trainings, and even if they hate it, uh, they get, you know, there's something that's been sort of peeled away. Yeah, it's really true. You know. Hey, you guys, I, I have to sign off. I have to sign off now. Oh, okay. I have well, to that's be somewhere good. at six. I'm sorry. Yeah, all good. All good. Okay. Well, how lovely to be in your presence, Di. It's great we, to be with you guys. I love talking to you we, both. I we we, so we gathered fun. four years ago at the beginning of the Trump era, and we're gathering here at what we hope is the beginning of the end of the Trump era. And so my, my question is, why has nothing come through? I thought Nevada and Arizona were supposed to give us info today. What's going on? I mean, we're literally, as we are recording this, waiting to hear. Uh, and um, yeah. I just really want him to be out of the White House. I want him to be out of my head. You guys, what are we going to do for this two months that he's still there? I, I, I endure two and it. Two and a half. Yeah. I mean, he's he got the nuclear codes. He's but got he doesn't all kinds really do things. much. He just likes to watch TV and plot. And yeah, he, yeah he, there's a lot of theater to Trump. You know, I can endure be, two more months. He'll be it. buying up a network and mobilizing. Yeah. He'll be moving on. Course. Exactly. Yeah. You, you know, you know what hor horrified me, you guys? I feel this way, but like the idea of his entire family in the White House for another four years. I know. That was just like, I just was unbearable to me. I like know. The, ne the nepotism and the. Yeah. Don Jr. No. Yeah. I mean. You know. I... Yikes. I know. I love you guys. Outside my circle of moral compassion. And, Ter and Terry, I really appreciate you, really. I mean, because I walk around every day feeling that way. I mean, the temperatures in Salt Lake are absurd. It's November, and it's 75. Yeah, crazy. same here in Boulder. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Bye, loves. Bye, loves. So long, dears. See you later. <laughs>